Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello, my ghouls, and welcome to episode 24. Today, let me tell you stories three. One of which may be true, and the others well. I'll let you decide that. Let us first begin with the sad and tragic tale of the beautiful Oiwa, who was once married to a lazy, wasteful thief of a samurai, a ronin named Iomon. Due to his nature, Oiwa left Iomon, her husband, and returned to her family home. Iemon, unhappy about this, followed her. He was confronted by Yotsuya Samo, Oiwa's father, who knew of his vile nature and actions, and demanded that he divorce Oiwa. Iemon, being the evil man that he was, drew his sword and in one swift stroke murdered Samo. Finding Oiwa, Iemon lied to her, saying that a stranger had killed her father on the road. He pleaded for reconciliation and promised vengeance upon her father's murderer. Soon after, Oiwa bore Iemon a son, but times were hard and they had little money. From the difficult birth and the conditions upon which they lived, Oiwa became sick and Iemon grew resentful. Next door, though, lived a rich old doctor, Itokihe, who had a granddaughter, Ome. He was pleasing to Iemon's eye, and Ome fell in love with him and wanted to marry him. So Kihei, loving her greatly, conspired to help her marry Iemon. Knowing of Oiwa's condition, he gave her some medicine that he promised would make her feel better. Unfortunately, this was not true. And not long after drinking the medicine, her face became disfigured from the poison she had been given. Upon seeing her deformed face, the resentment Iemon felt turned to hatred. Kihei subtly suggested that Iemon divorce Oiwa and marry his own granddaughter, Ome, bringing with it all the wealth and power of the Yito family. Being the greedy man that he was, and Ome being so young and beautiful, and his wife being so disfigured, he agreed. So that he could afford the wedding, Iemon began to sell all of Oiwa's possessions, hikimonos and jewellery, even their son's clothes. In order to divorce Oiwa, he needed a reason. If she was unfaithful to him, then that would be enough, surely. So, he asked a friend, Takoetsu, to rape her and accuse her of infidelity. However, on the night Takoetsu saw Oiwa's face, he was so shocked and frightened by what he saw that he gave up on the plan. He explained to Oiwa Iemon's plan and then gave her a mirror. Unaware of the damage done to her face when she gazed upon it in the mirror, Oiwa was horrified. Desperately, she tried to brush her hair over it to hide her face. But as she did so, her hair began to fall out in large bloody clumps. This drove her mad, and grabbing a knife, 
she ran to the front door. Worried about what she might do, Takoetsu moved to stop her, and in the commotion that followed, Oiwa punctured her own throat. And as she lay dying on the floor in a pool of her own blood, she cursed Eamon until she drew her last breath. It did not take long for the curse to come to fruition. Eamon was overjoyed that he could finally marry Orme, and they did. But on the night of their wedding, Eamon had trouble sleeping. Turning onto his side to look at his new wife, he was greeted a disfigured, ghostly face stared back at him, that of his dead wife Oiwa. Shocked and scared, he lashed out at the ghost with his sword, only for the ghost to fade away just as he struck. Sudden realisation that the body was not of Oiwa, but of Olme, his new wife. She lay dead at his feet by his hands. Terrified at what he had just done, he rushed to seek Kihei's help, and upon entering the Ito house, he was again greeted with the ghost and he lashed out once again. The body fell to the floor, and he realised what had happened. Kihei lay dead at his feet. Running through the house, being chased by Oiwa's Onryo, Iemon kills the remainder of the Ito household. Driven mad, Iemon flees into the night, forever pursued her face haunting his dreams, her voice screeching out for vengeance. Running to the mountains to escape the Onryo, but unable to cope, Eamon descended fully into madness, no longer able to tell the difference between his nightmares and reality. He died alone. A small lesson there to be learned. Do not want over what you already have. The spirits of the dead are a powerful force, and the more hate and evil within you, the more the curse will haunt you. Now let's move on to the next tale in that trilogy, that of Okiku. Many years ago, centuries indeed, there was a servant who worked for Aoyama Tessin, the chief retainer of Himije Castle, called Okiku. She was beautiful and had attracted the attention of Aoyama, who had fallen deeply in love with her and kept asking for her hand in marriage. Okiku refused the advances, not wanting to be the concubine to a great lord. At the time, the lord of Himeji Castle, Hosokawa Katsumoto, had fallen gravely ill, and in order to ensure his succession, Katsumoto's heir Tomonosuke planned a gift of ten precious plates to the shogun. However, Aoyama had other plans and wanted to take the power for himself. So, he stole one of the templates and hid it. Calling for Okiku, he asked her to bring the plates to him and check that everything was in order. Okiku dutifully counted the plates up to nine the tenth missing. Aoyama accused her of stealing the plate. Aware that such a crime would bring her the death penalty, she counted the plates over and over 
and over again, but one was always missing. Fear grew slowly within her. Aoyama, having a deep desire for Kiku, said that he would overlook the matter if she wed him. But again, Okiku refused. Angered by this refusal, he took Okiku to the castle well, where he raped and beat her with a wooden sword. After the beating, he dunk her in the well, repeating this torture many times over, before finally asking her one last time, Will you marry me? And for one final time, Okiku refused. She was given one last brutal beating and dropped dead into the well. As Aoyama was wiping the blood from his sword, deep from within the well, he heard a voice slowly counting. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. Eight, nine, and then a piercing scream rang out. Oyama left the well, thinking that she must not have been dead when he dropped her, but she soon would be. Okiku, however, had died, and she'd become an onlyo, a vengeful spirit, and she would follow Aoyama and torment him by counting to nine and then screaming at the missing tenth plate. One day, a vassal heard the counting, and after nine, the vessel said ten, as if he had found that missing plate. Okiku smiled, relieved the missing plate had been found, and haunted the Lord no more. The theme here is arising, my friends. One of betrayal and injustice. Do not cause harm or lust for what is denied to you, lest thee be cursed and haunted by a vengeful unreal. And now, on to our last story. Romantic, sad and sorrowful tale of Otsuyu. One Obon festival many moons ago, a recent widower by the name of Ogigawa Shinojo was out enjoying the festivities when he saw the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. She was walking the lane slowly with her servant, who was carrying a lantern with a peony motif. Instantly he was smitten, madly and truly and deeply in love with her. Instilling his nerves, he invited her back to his house for food and tea. To his surprise, she said yes, and that her name was Otsuyu. That night, they made love, and she stayed late, long after the lamplight had faded. But before the sun had risen, Otsuyu left. Much to the joy of Ogiwara, Otsuyu and her servant returned the following evening, when again they made love and lay together till the lamplight faded and dawn was not far off. This happened night after night. Otsuyu would arrive at dusk and leave before the dawn. It went on for some say, near twenty nights. And towards the end, 
one of the neighbours grew concerned for his friend and suspicious of the girl who only visited at night. One night, the neighbour overheard revelries coming from Ogiwara's house, the sounds of singing, dancing and laughing. And curious as to what was going on, he spied on Ogiwara through a small hole in the wall. Looking in, he at first thought that his eyes had deceived him, for Ogiwara was not dancing with a young lady, but that of a skeleton. They were entwined together, moving and dancing. And when Ogiwara spoke, the skeleton nodded and appeared to listen. And when the skeleton spoke, its jawbone moving up and down, an eerily haunting sound was the only thing it produced. Shocked at what he had seen, the neighbour ran home. The following morning, the neighbour called on Ogiwara and explained what he had seen. That the young lady was a ghost, a skeleton in fact, and that he should go to the temple at once. Listening to his wise old friend, Ogiwara immediately set off, and upon reaching the temple, he had to pass through the graveyard, where something caught his eyes. A tattered and worn lantern, with a peony motif hung from the grave, upon which was Otsu's name. The priest of the temple saw Ogiwara and heard his tale. Fearing for him, the priest placed a protection charm on Ogiwara and his house. This prevented her from entering, but she was still able to call to him from outside. Night after night, she would stand outside calling for her love. And one night, after hearing her call and despondent about losing his love, Ogiwara proceeded to drink, to try and drown out her sorrowful cries and drown out his misery. The drink flowed through him and made him unable to resist. So Ogiwara left his house and went to her, where she led him to her house. This a small coffin in the temple graveyard, where the following morning Ogiwara's body was found, entwined with the skeleton on Otsu's grave. And thus end the final tale. All tales of loss and love and hauntings. These tales are the Nihon Sandai Kaiden, the three great ghosts of Japan. They are the most well-known ghostly folktales from Japan. Yes, there I have put my own spin on these tales, as there are various versions around out there. There are some modern versions done by modern folklorists, some old translations we have found, and then there are the kabuki tales as well. I have combined these versions into my own tailing, and so you may, when you look up your own versions, see slight differences in what I have said. I won't delve into these stories or their histories today, as I kind of wanted to look at something else that is mentioned in the last tale, and that is the Festival of Obon. And so yeah, we are in the spooky season, uh, and so spooky tales are a must. Though those weren't 
particularly spooky. They were mildly haunting and, and upsetting. So, and they are ghostly, very much ghostly tales. Um, like in Western culture with Halloween and Samhain, Japan does have a festival for the dead. Um, but it's very, very different. And this is the festival of Obom. It is a um, Buddhist festival. Uh, it's usually held on August the 15th. And, in, and on that, one of the days is usually a national holiday. Um, if it falls on a weekend. If it doesn't, you'll get a three-day holiday. Um, it's one of the big holidays in Japan. There's Obon, New Year's and Golden Week. Um, Golden Week has a few festivals within it and they just kind of turn it into a week off. Obon is not another one of these where the festival generally lasts for a couple of days, but the main day is on August the 15th. It does tend to vary, though, sometimes between regions, um, and it's traditionally held on the 15th day of the 7th month, so that's usually July the 7th. Um, but this was based off an old lunar calendar, which now more closely aligns to actually August the 15th. As I say, it's a Buddhist festival, but it's for commemorating your ancestors. Uh, and during its time, it's believed that the spirits of your ancestors return to this world to visit their relatives. So unlike Halloween and Samhain, where the, the veil is thin and you get all the weird, bad, spoopy th stuff, this one's actually quite nice. You get relatives visiting you. And so during this time, um, the families, they visit and clean the graves of their ancestors um, and they make offerings of beans and bean and rice, beans and rice at the graves. And they will light lanterns outside their house to guide the spirits of their family into the household and then hold um, ceremonies at the household altar uh, where they can sit and greet the family in the evening and maybe even share a meal together. During the day and evening festivities, um, there are there's lots of eating, lots of laughing, lots of drinking. This is Japan, is what they do. Um, and there's also a lot of uh, don odori, which are dancers. These are celebrations of their ancestors' past lives and a joyful expression um, of remembrance for all the, the things that they did and the suffering that they went through. Um, the roots of the dance have kind of a history of over 500 years. Um, there is a story relating to them, which I'll tell later, um, but kind of like the actual historical roots, they're about 500 years old. And they come from a different type of traditional folk dance in Japan um, that is a welcoming of the spirits of the dead. Um, and again, much like the timing of this festival, um, the dancers vary in style, form and music kind of over the many different prefectures of Japan. Um, I did go and look into a lot of the different ones, but I just couldn't be bothered to talk about them because there's a lot. The end of Obon is signified with the lighting of Gorzin or Kuribi, and these are five large bonfires um, placed around Kyoto in the shape of five large kan kanji. And Okuribi means the sending fire or the send off fire. And it signals the time for the spirits to leave the mortal plane once more. Um, at this time, families will head to rivers and lakes and release floating lantern lanterns um, to help guide their ancestors back to the spirit world. Um, if you Google the images of these bonfires, they are absolutely huge. I have seen them in real life and they are beautiful and they cover the side of, of hills um, and not small hills. They are quite big. Now, the roots of the festival um, date back even further than the 500 years. 
And it actually comes from a Chinese festival uh, known as the Ghost Festival, which itself, which itself comes from an ancient Buddhist tale. Um, and this is the story of, and I'm sorry, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Maha Maudgalayana, or Mokurin. Um, he was a disciple of the Buddha uh, and used his powers to check upon his mother, who had recently passed away. And to his surprise, he found that she had fallen into the realm of the hungry ghosts and was suffering greatly. Upset about this, he asked the great Buddha how he could help her or release her from this realm. So Buddha told him to go and make offerings to all of the monks who had just completed a summer ritual on the 15th day of the seventh month. This he did, and afterwards he saw his mother was released from the realm of hungry ghosts. So when he saw her, he saw past all kind of the old selfishness that he had seen in her when she was alive, and saw the sacrifices she had made for him in her lifetime. He was so joyous to see her released from her torment, and grateful to see the kindness within her and what she had done for him. He danced for joy. And it is this dance that leads to the Bon Odori. So anyway, um, that's all I have to tell you for today. Um, so I hope you enjoyed those sorrowful tales. It's a little bit of a short one. Um, but yeah, they are some of the three most popular ghost tales of Japanese folklore. Again, this one is a little bit different to usual. But yeah, I think I think it kind of worked. I hope you enjoyed the, the new style. Um, do, do let me know what you think, uh, whether you like the style of this episode and whether I should be a little bit more serious and spooky. Or did you hate it and want my drunk, sarcastic ass back? Um, let me know. And if you want to know how you can let me know, you can find me over on Twitter, at TheDrunkenStore1. I'm on Facebook as The Drunken Storyteller. You can also email me at thedrunkenstorytelleruk at gmail.com where you can also send me suggestions and topics and stories to cover and talk about. You can listen to all my other episodes um, to find out how much of a sarcastic as I usually am uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow me on Spotify or Apple and you can rate and leave comments there as well. Share it around on social media as well if you find time to promote it. You can also go and check out my other podcast over at Dark Days Radio where we talk about horror-themed RPGs, World and Chronicles of Darkness, and Warhammer as well. So, well, the drink has run dry for now. So all that is left for me to say is thank you and sweet dreams, my friends. <laughs>